my experience about death is really what we do with life because I basically the only guy in my life that I ever looked up to spent his whole life hoping to die. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's crazy. crazy. My guest in today's episode is one of the most entertaining humans in my life and just so happens to be one of my best friends in Jake Malott. This episode takes a different approach from discussing death head-on, but more of a full-circle story of Jake's life on how he's deciphered meaning from his grandfather's death. He shares how it's impacted how he's grown up a chunk of his life without a father figure and breaking the family cycle of negative circumstances. As I've said before, death is not the end of life. It's a part of life, and we learn that firsthand from Jake. If you want to hear a deeply insightful, vulnerable, and personal dissection of personal growth, then buckle up. Yeah, because my parents got divorced when we were still in Beaver Creek, which was when I was 14, <clears throat> which is two that 20, which is 2000, which was 2004. You're speaking of these small towns, like I know. Which was where Beaver okay, Creek is. Okay, in middle school, my parents uh, got divorced. I don't know. I was like, um, but anyway, I lived up there un- until eighth grade which would have been 14 years old. And then in high school, you're, you're, you know, 14, 15. Right. So we moved back down South, which is when we lived near him. Just doesn't make sense. Are you forgetting something? Or is the obituary wrong? I could have sworn it was 2014. You're throwing a nut in your... Yeah, I mean, I've realized lately I've forgotten a lot of my childhood, <laughs> like time and days and stuff. There's a lot of trauma. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Trauma does that, huh? Yeah, it really does. Uh, makes you, like, forget shit. Um, yeah, but also, I don't know. There's a lot of, like, ups and downs and he's and haze and, you know. What are the he's? What are the haze? Um, I had a pretty good, I had a, I had a pretty, like, are we are we recording right now? Yeah, we've been, oh, okay, we've been cool. recording. So. Okay, phenomenal. Um, I, so I had a, I had a pretty good uh, pretty good like middle class American childhood, right? Um, like grew up had like good neighbors, like mom had friends, dad worked, he came home, you know, it was cool. Kids always around, all that good stuff. Um, and then um, when we moved, when I was like when I was again, I was like beginning of middle school, moved up north. To like, dad like finally got like a good job because he was like a he was self employed when I was younger. He owned a, a contracting company. He was a carpenter, just like Jesus. So, uh, are you saying anything? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> just like JC. Yeah, just like JC. Is that why he did it? We love you, man. Uh, <laughs> guys, guys, good with his hands, good with wood. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Oh, God. Go on to the he's Bless and haze. He's and haze. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, basically, parents got, uh, we moved up there. Dad got like a good stable, steady job. We were like living the- Stable. Yeah. Stable corporate job, right? That's why he got it. And we were like living like, finally, we're a middle-class American family, you know? We're like living good. Um, and it was cool. Had the big backyard, like awesome school district, tons of friends and families, and everybody was happy. Um, and then, and then slowly like parents start fighting and then, um, and then my dad sets us down and he, and he says, uh, children, I'm sorry to say that I've failed in my role as your father and your mother's divorcing me. And I remember, um, wanting to cry 
and I told myself, I'm not going to cry. And I held it in and I have literally not been able to cry since I've, I've cried, uh, maybe three times in my entire life since then. <laughs> what were the other three that made you cry? Um, in middle school or no, in, uh, high school, I had a friend of mine that I was like very close with in middle school. And this is when we were like on AOL instant messenger, right? So where I was like still keeping in touch with my friends from, from the move. Um, and found out that like one of my best friends tried to kill himself oh, okay. and I just like started bawling my eyes out. I hadn't even like really talked to him that much since, but I just, for some reason, just started like bawling my eyes out. Um, years later, I had, um, another experience where, oh, uh, um, I had a, a, a girlfriend, we were like fighting and like breaking up and she's like, you never, you don't care. Like you never cry. You never show any emotion. And I was like, I could cry, <laughs> you know? And I remember like, I was like, like made myself. Like I did that thing where you go like. <sighs> you made yourself, what are you talking like one tear? Or you actually started yeah, you, crying. You know where you, have you ever done this where you go like. No, I see you loud and clear. You don't have to repeat yourself. So, I, so I you, did the, you did this thing. This like, I don't know. There's like a, like you create like a pressure buildup in the back of your like head. And then, and I did that. And then I remember like being able to trigger a cry. Mm -hmm. And then I like started crying, but, okay. but it wasn't as natural. It was like a force. It wasn't as natural. It wasn't natural at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's cry number two, which the Trinity, so which the that's three. Number, that was number two. And then number three, I think, um, Maybe it was like another another breakup. Oh yeah. Oh, it was uh, number three. Um, was an emotional heart to heart uh, with a girlfriend later on. Um, I don't remember what the heart to heart was. I just remember we had like a moment of bonding where we were like sharing our our traumas, right? And it like sort of like the the well just like opened up and and started pouring forth. And that was cool. That was a great relationship. So we'll call it two out of two and a half cries. Yeah, two and a half. Okay. So, that's, so well, let me ask you about those the yeah. traumas. Yeah, yeah. We can maybe backtrack into yeah, sure. that, but what do the traumas have to do? Are there any uh, relation to what we may be discussing in regards to your grandfather? Totally. It, it all does. Okay, and, let's just start uh, on. Yeah. So, um, so I guess for those of you who have any religious background or, or any experience in the church, there's a Bible verse which states um, that your sins will be inherited by your son and your son's sons. Now, what that means is family trauma. Is that like the issues that you create for your family will go down behaviorally into your children's lives and then will actually even affect their generation's lives. Mm. Um, generational trauma. Generational trauma. It's, uh... It's a sick son of a bitch. We're talking about, we saw about Jesus. I've already mentioned the Trinity. You're talking about the church again. Yeah. I've known you for several years now. I don't remember the last time we spoke about the church. Yeah, well. So go on with this. It's interesting. So I'm, I'm yeah, learning well, right now. It's what, a big part of this story. Okay, please. So my uh, grandfather, Paul Malott, is his name. And also fun fact, uh, my grandfather's name was Paul Malott. I, I think his, his middle name was, I think, Bernard. It's like Paul Bernard Malott. And then my dad's and sorry, grandpa was like looked up. As, I was like, I don't even know this guy's middle name. I'm such an asshole. Who knows anyone's middle name these days? Yeah, I know it's so terrible. But I did do ancestry. Um, so uh, so I did put in the work on the family tree, you know. Um, but anyway, his name was Paul B. Malad. He named his son, oldest of the boys, Paul Malad, which is cool. Um, and he was he was Paul. Uh, Paul Whitson Malott. 
and which is one of my middle names. So I got I got one of his names, um, Whitson. I'm Jake Elwood Whitson Malak. Um, and then my dad named his son, not the firstborn, so we're Paul Craig Malat. And then my brother named his son Paul Amadeus Malat. So they have this weird thing where with Pauls. Yeah, they just pass down the Paul name. The middle name can change, but you have to, I guess you have to name one of your sons. Paul in that in that thing. So so my brother is sort of like more connected than me through this Paul now, chain. Now was that in the Bible too? You shall inherit your father's <laughs> sins as well as his first name. <laughs> Saul, you'll change your name to Paul, and then you'll name your son Paul, and then he'll name his son Paul. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. It's a, so it's a beautiful, sweet thing. Um, so anyway, Paul Paul beam a lot. Um, super cool guy. Um, Tall, handsome. He was actually like, I think six foot, six one. I'm not grandpa. He always told me growing up, he was like, well, you know, I didn't hit six foot till I was after 20, uh, 23. I hit a growth spurt and uh, 25 years old, I was six foot. So you still got a chance, kid. That's gone. Yeah. I know. I was like 24, still hoping. 25, still waiting. <sighs> Five, nine and three quarters. I admit that. Hey, you weren't even close. Yeah, I know. But I, f- I found out recently that if you do yoga, like regularly, two inches you can gain. So At any point of your life? Any point of your life. Your uh, spine will elongate two full inches if you do yoga regularly, st- spine stretches. What about what about like the back inverter hanging? I don't, I didn't, I mean, it wasn't in the YouTube video. <laughs> okay. Well, based on one YouTube video, ladies and gentlemen, no, we I can watched, go two inches. I watched four. All right. All right. So go right. on, please. Paul beam a lot. Okay, so Paul B. Mott, cool guy, tall, handsome, uh, really smart. Um, basically, his his trajectory in life was like uh, I remember he told me he had like a like a like sick classic like greasers like Chevy that he like got like custom chrome headers on, custom chrome tailpipe, you know, like wax. He showed me how to wax a car for the first time. He was very much a father figure to me growing up. I always thought he was like the cool guy, like super cool, you know. Um, and everybody loved him. He was he was. He was unequivocally the patriarch of the family, and everybody loved him, even for his his misgivings in in life, which I'll describe. Um, so anyway, he had like he like grew up basically met my my nana, who's my his his was his first wife, was my grandmother. She's a small little Irish lady. She's so sweet, nana. If you're listening, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and basically, they uh, had had kids very early on. I don't know. If I think what maybe had happened was maybe they fell in love or maybe they had a child and then got married and then had three more children. And then mm. he was kind of like, I'm too young to have, have these kids and family. What's going on here? He uh, g- was uh, into art. Um, he was an artist, went to the Art Academy of Cincinnati, which is actually why I ended up going there. I wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, and then he became, uh, he would like design storefronts like back in the day they would have like these elaborate store displays and in cincinnati is the headquarters of procter and gamble which created marketing and branding so marketing and branding if you're in cincinnati it's like like in the business community most people really know about it and it's really strong in the culture there so anyway for him to have like worked and done that and he worked with png as like a private consultant basically and then he went on to like manage, he became a manager of like all these designers and like managed a whole office and like a whole floor and all this, became incredibly wealthy um, and decided that he would rather uh, give give uh, his youth another shot. So he basically just 
decides, I don't know the full details from his, his part because he never told me before he passed, but I've heard from my, um, from my Nina, but basically he decided like, yeah, I think I'm going to go like live a more of a playboy lifestyle than like a family man. So he gets a divorce and in childhood court, uh, in child custody court tells the judge, this is what my, my Nana told me. He says, um, judge, these aren't my kids like anymore. I was like, isn't my responsibility anymore. He's like, I have a new girlfriend I have a new life, like, you know, I can't, like, can't be, well, can't, like a sitcom. Be, can't be bringing me down, you know, with this, with this, like, family responsibility. How old is he at this point? <laughs> He's probably in, like, his, like, I don't know, his, like, 20s, <clears throat> 30s, something like, probably 30s, it, probably, like, you know, 30s middle manager doing well. Um, anyway, ended up, um, his girlfriend was my step-grandma, beautiful lady, Cindy, um, beautiful young blonde uh, at the front desk of Procter and Gamble. So when he's like, you know, walking in, you know, in the morning, going up to the 15th floor or whatever to do some business, he's like, hey, how you doing? Chatting her up. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty cute, you know? And then they end up getting married. No shit. So, so when I was growing up, um, they lived in Florida because he ended up moving down to Florida and retiring at like 40 years old. Um, I know that they're well off because they always lived on a golf course. Um, in like a, you know, always had a house on a golf course and he had these, he had these paintings hanging up in his like uh, living room of his toys that he used to have. And he had a painting of a, like a 60 foot cigarette speedboat, which is like $120,000 boat minimum. Right. Um, and then another, and then his second boat, which was like more of like a party cruiser, party barge or whatever. And then he had like uh, another one of like his his Saab uh, his like Saab uh, hatchback uh, like turbo, which at the time was like a sixty thousand you know equivalent of like a luxury car, whatever. So the guy liked his toys, you know. <laughs> okay, he's like a cool guy. You like, said toys. I was expecting like some Fisher Price stuff. Yeah, you know, loves that. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so growing up, I always used to get f f uh, flown down um, for the summertime. They would always fly me down. This was like their way of like sort of like, you know, uh, like being like being a part of the families. Um, they would fly me down for two weeks. So first time I ever flew on a plane alone, I was four years old. Um, and they would like your parents would drop you off the airport. You'd be in a waiting room and you hop on the plane, and be by yourself. Like they'd have a guide walk you in. I was four years old, so I've been flying alone every summer, um, like four, five, six, seven, eight, basically every single summer I'd go down. And I would like, as I got older, I'd be like a pool boy with him. Cause he was like retired. So like later he like looked for something to do. One of his buddies like started a pool business. So I'd go down like one summer, I was just like cleaning pools in Daytona and like they live in okay. Palm Springs one. Uh, they live in Palm Springs for a while and they like live in Daytona. Um, it was cool. You know, I used to go down and hang out, but here's the thing. At some point, like before that period, like he was like a party guy, like, you know, him and his young wife, they're like doing the thing. Um, he found God and he like repented and realized that he did like a lot of wrong things and he wanted to make up for that. So he became heavily involved in church, studying scripture, he and his wife together. So they were like so into God and so into the Bible um, that like we couldn't watch like certain movies in the house. Like I couldn't, um, like I think I, I brought... Uh, like Harry Potter down. I was like reading Harry Potter when Harry Potter came out. And they're like, you can't read this. This is like, this is witchcraft. The devil's witchcraft. Yeah, I <laughs> guess that makes sense. devil stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one year I remember I was like flying down and, uh, and found a, uh, it was the Punisher movie. 
Punisher with like the skull, and I found like a Punisher ring. It was a skull ring, and I was like flying out, like put put it on. I was like, "Look, I found this. Pretty cool." <laughs> my grandma was like, "You can't have this. This is satanic." This is <laughs> like, satanic. Made me, made me throw it away. I didn't take it and throw it away. She made me throw it away while she watched, and I was like, "Well, is <laughs> that <laughs> so the fourth time you cried or what?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so anyway, cool. That was like the cool. Like it was. It was cool. You know. Also, my my grandfather carved wooden birds um like detailed he would carve them with like all these tools out of wood um would create like like if it was a certain breed of uh, or species of bird not breed of bird we breed birds here uh we've been breeding birds for three generations <laughs> blue jays and pigeons <laughs> what do you like and what do you need we've got a bird for that um, so he would carve these elaborate wooden birds and paint them too, to like, I mean, I see, I see like each iteration, like, and it was cool. Cause like, you'd come down each year and be like, what birds have you completed this year? You know? And he'd like show you that that was pretty cool. Um, uh, and, um, anyway, and then my family would go down and visit sometimes. So I never really like, I never really thought anything of this. This is the thing. Like when you're like a child, like you never, there's never any issues when you're a child, right? You're just living, you're just enjoying life. Mm-hmm. And then you get older and you start to be like, why is my life so hard? Why am I having trouble adjusting to these like people or these these situations? And then you start to like look at your friends and you start to look at your life and you're like, oh, it's because a bunch of bullshit happened in my family and they didn't give me the tools to cope with this. You know, or like, why, why is like everybody terrible communicating in my family? Why am I terrible communicating? You know, and then, and you look at these reasons and these things. So anyway, so let's time machine, right? (laughs) We're Um, back to where now? Yeah. So let's go back. So, so my grandpa moves out. My dad is the oldest of four. They had been living pretty good up to this point. Um, And my dad totally revolted against this divorce and this new lifestyle he was like as a child he was like maybe he was like probably like 13 he's like 14 12 13 something like that he was like pissed because he went from like living a pretty cool good life like dad was making good money mom's at home he's in school you know life's good wearing nice clothes to now he's got a single mother in like what the 70s or something like this raising him and three other kids um and so you left him high and dry with money too. He ended up having to pay okay. for sure. There was some help, but the quality of life definitely went down. Plus, you're missing your dad. You know what I mean? Of course. For especially for the oldest son, I'm the oldest son. It really hurts. You know, you know. I don't mm-hmm. tell you. So, um, so my dad not really knowing how to cope with this, and then my grandmother. God bless this woman. Seriously, she's a total rock star. Just a badass of a woman. Um while raising four kids alone, goes and gets her bachelor's degree, then gets her master's degree and becomes like a badass academic at the Northern Kentucky University, helped found their women's studies program, was all about like women's rights and then in the local community, all kinds of cool stuff. Just a total rock star as far as like women's rights and, um, and just like being an example of like not making excuses and like however bad your situation is, like you can find the energy and the courage to like grow in that position and and turn yourself into something really impressive. And I've always admired that. And it's always made me really, um, it's affected my dating life. I've always been hesitant 
to get into relationships with women who seem naive or seem like they make excuses for their situation in life, or they just like, they just don't really like, it's like they don't seem independent. Like if, if a woman seems like if, if like her man was to leave and she would just be doomed, like to me instinctively, one, because I have all this triggered trauma with like my mom going through, <clears throat> well, which we'll get to my mom kind of, but then my, you know, my grandma, my grandmother and realizing like, you have to like, you got to do some shit. You know what I mean? Be a strong woman. <laughs> um, so, so my dad like loses his, loses his shit and basically doesn't know how to cope with any of this. When she sent him therapy, it wasn't helping. My dad gets into like smoking the reefer. Is that how you do it? The 70s. That's how I do it. Oh, actually I do that. I do go. I like do like a. A double I, take? Yeah. I, I like, my brother showed, my little brother showed me how to smoke weed. He taught oh. me the first time. Yeah. And he's like, this is what you do, man. You, you put it in your mouth and you inhale it in your mouth and then you inhale it from your mouth into your throat. So that's still the way I smoke way I smoke cigarettes if I smoke cigarettes too to this day. Not the way you should smoke a cigar though. Oh no. First time I smoked a cigar, I tried that, barfed. I remember it was also my brother. First time I, well, my little brother. He's like my little older brother, which is interesting. I'm more interested in the fact that you just use the word barfed, but continue on with your story, please. This is this is an interesting phrase. It's just cool. Mm. Um Little Mahatma. There was a store in my my neighborhood in college called Little Mahatma. And I was like, what the frick does that mean? And I looked it up and it means little older brother. Which is such a such a cool term if you think about oh, that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I can think of some scenario, uh, some examples. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? So I was, you know, my brother's kind of little Mahatma. He's kind of always like so bizarro. He's like always showed me. My brother was like, when my parents split, he lived with my dad and I lived with my mom. So of course I was like coddled. I was always, I was a like firstborn child. I was like, you know, probably to my detriment. And my brother just had like streets, you know? Yeah. Dad was like, who knows what girls he was inviting over in the early days, you know? My dad, so basically my dad became a drug addict. My dad became like, he was like, you know, partying and stuff, but he's like a terrible introvert. So like, can't express himself, never learned to communicate buries it all in drugs and alcohol and sex and just like he, he would have made a terrific rock star i wish he would have stuck with guitar seriously um he's got everything else yeah seriously so um so so we grew up when i get four, 14 years old and, and up to that point like i in my middle school years my parents would have these like crazy fights like i remember i would be in the bedroom with my brother and you just hear like my dad come home at like 1 a.m. and my mom just started like screaming and like yelling. It was just like terrible. And that would go on for like years, basically. It's like we knew there was like at night there was trouble. She was sad, whatever. <clears throat> and then they finally got divorced. We like moved back to Cincinnati to try to be, like repair the the family relationship, basically. Am I am I all over the place? Are you are is are we are we like on like on a thread here? We're on a thread. Okay. I cool. mean, we have to eventually get back to your grandfather, who I think stems to the part where, you know, his death but I think this is all building up to how this it is all, all building encompasses. Up. This is totally building up to how it encompasses because yeah, this, yeah because his death. Uh, I <laughs> so funny. Um, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it funny? No, it's tragic. Um, <laughs> okay, comedy, comedy, tragedy is comedy. Yeah, you know? maybe that's what it is. Um, so, uh, so my anyway, my father basically when I was four, when I was like fourteen years old, my parents get divorced. Um, and my dad, sort of, maybe it was earlier. I don't know. Like, like we said earlier, time kind of like in these 
Obviously, I don't know. It was sometime between 11 and 14, because that's, you know. Some, maybe 16, 17, 20. It was some know. freaking time around then. Mm -hmm. I thought I was 14. Maybe I was 13. Who knows? But I was like in middle school. And, uh, you know, sets us down. Uh, sorry, kids. I can't, uh, can't do this anymore. You know, I failed the family. Um, and we were, you know, getting divorced. And then he just like went off the deep end. We Well, oh, this is what happened. They divorced. My mom moved into her own house. I remember living with her. And then like within like six months, they got back together and they were like, we're moving back to Cincinnati to be closer to family. And we're going to give this one good old shot, one more. And so we moved from Ohio where I'd been making friends for like three and a half years, like middle school, which yeah. is a pretty fundamental pretty time. Pretty prime, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we're leaving. Um, we're going to go to Kentucky and you're going to go to uh, this school down here which turned out to be a pretty shitty school. <laughs> so go down to Kentucky, drive down to Kentucky. We're now living on a, on a, like a farm, basically like a, a rural, we were on like, it was like Burlington road or something. And it was like, like you would just like the school bus rides, like in a freaking like gully, just drive for like 20, 30 minutes. And then we had a gravel road, that would take you to the top of a hill. There was a little farmhouse we rent, rented and didn't even own. We lost the ownership of house. This is like things are going downhill. We're not renting a farmhouse. But there were some good times had on that farm, on that property. As you do on a farm. Tons of dogs, ducks. Oh, not we what I was thinking, but okay. Chickens. We had dirt bike at one point. Uh, had a, a go-kart at one point. We were like, um, at one point, we had, we had like this like forest patch one, there was like one time me and, me and a couple friends, we like ran power all the way out into the forest and like cleared the forest floor and hung lights up in the trees. And we like had a fire in the forest and like partied. It was cool. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Also, I think like first, first like semi kiss, one of the first kisses like snuck out to the neighbor. This is when you cried? Yeah. Yeah. I always cry oh, when the I kiss. fake cry, sorry? No, no. I guess it's way later. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was cool. It was good times on the farm. <laughs> In Kentucky. But anyway, the school was so shitty. I, I hated my parents. I was smart. I was intellectual. I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed my friends. I was in the, like, one of the best middle schools in the state of Ohio and then went to, like, a really shitty ranked public country high school called Connor High School, which, sorry, guys, not that great of a high school. It's really bad. In fact, it was so bad that I remember, like, after my mom, like, remarried my little brother who was 10 years, my youngest brother, 10 years, my junior. So when I was like uh, in high school, I was like 16. He was like six or something like this. I remember like we were reading, he was going to school in Ohio. Ohio just has better schools basically, unless you're at a private Catholic school, in which case obviously it's private. Nice. Come on, money. Yeah. So he was at like, um, he was at like a, a nice, like, I don't know. So he was at like, anyway, he's in high school. I just remember there was a point where like my little brother, 10 years younger than me was reading holes and I was also reading holes in high school. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, we have fallen so far from grace. You know? And I was aware of it. That's the worst part is when you're a kid and you're smart enough to realize that like these terrible decisions of your parents have put you in like a, like a socioeconomic class lower than you used to be in. And I was just like, so I'm like this like kid is like pretty smart. And I just like hated that I was in this country bumpkin high school. Didn't have friends anymore. Hated that my parents, I was like, basically had no more faith in my parents. I was like, well, clearly you're idiots, you know, at this point. You, for whatever reason, you thought this school was a good idea for me. Like, 
thank you. Yeah. So then I like hated high school. It took me a while to get, get into that and, and like get through it. Um, I always felt like I like didn't belong there. And then like to make matters even worse, like senior year of high school, my mom's like, Hey, we're moving again. She got, she got met a guy. Awesome dude. Stepdad, Mark. He's rad. They're together now, but uh, she moves, moves up to Ohio to live with him. She's like, Hey, um, we're going to move up to Ohio. So, uh, you're gonna have to move school. I'm sorry, I don't think you mentioned it. Maybe you did. They felt the, they got divorced again, or what? oh yeah, they, sorry, yeah, they got divorced again. Okay, so, so she's back in Ohio. They got divorced again, and then we lived. Uh, they split. My dad like got like a little apartment, and then my mom raised my brothers and I for like I think it was like maybe two years in high school. I was in high school in this little farmhouse, uh, a little 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 house across from the courthouse. Okay, this is like a little tiny Kentucky, uh, like old town like there's like literally like like it the like the intersection of the main town there was like some buildings and stuff like don't imagine it to be like two country but like i, I don't, don't know i've never been to kentucky i don't i don't know how to picture it, it. it would be like any state it doesn't necessarily need to be kentucky but it was like a quaint little quaint little town um anyway she like raised us there my mom raised so here we are this is what i was talking about earlier the sins of your father right so now my mom is a single mother Raising four boys, four kids again, <laughs> literally like it's like like clockwork, right? <laughs> raising four boys, all named Paul, alone, um, and and making and, and my mom, unfortunately, uh, I think maybe because she was just tormented emotionally and mentally by my father, unfortunately, just was like in a state where she was just at huge fear. Um, of just life and and how things were going to turn out. She used to babysit for a living. Um, we would always have kids growing, other kids growing up in our house. So it would always be me and the four brothers, and there'd be like four or five other kids always running around. There was always like a baby crying. You know, I I would always like, <laughs> I, I was like so comfortable with like other kids, like just being like, because some of these kids were just terrible. Like just like, I remember this one kid, this baby named Nick, he always had a snotty nose. He was always crying. He was just like the worst child ever. And we just hated him. Like, so we would just, <laughs> just hated we him. just hated this child. It was so annoying. And so we were like very young and we would just like further torment this poor child because we just like hated that he was always crying. He was probably unfortunately just missed his mom. You know, it makes sense. My, yeah. mom, my mom's babysitting this poor kid. And we're like, Nick, you suck, you know? <laughs> This is like literally like a two-year-old kid, this poor kid. God, see, I passed my trauma on him. Yeah, it wasn't even your son. <laughs> this poor little sap. Um, so um, so anyway, we are, uh, now we're like in, in high school, whatever. Anyway, so, so now my mom has to go through the same thing. But she was like terrified that she didn't have insurance, that she was like going to, something was going to go wrong and she would be even in further trouble. You know what I mean? So she abandons babysitting freelance, which makes pretty good money. You can make a couple hundred bucks a kid per month, you know, or per week or whatever. I don't know what it is. Probably per week, actually. And goes and gets a job at the only thing she knows how to do because she's been doing it. Because here's here's the thing. And this is where, you know, I have so little respect for um, guys who really put their, their women in like shitty positions um, of communication-wise. Communication or you like abandon them or whatever it is. Like, I hate this because... Um, my dad told her, look, like she was going to college. She was like, don't worry about this. Don't worry about college. Like take care of the kids, be a stay at home wife. I'll take care of the bills. You don't worry about life skills. I'll take care of it. I got you. We're in this together. You're good. 
So mom's like, cool, I'll just learn how to take care of kids and be a good mom and like hang out with my fellow women neighbors and drink wine at night and like be just like a, like a house mom, you know, like cool, awesome. So now he's like, hey, actually, sorry, I'm just like a total douchebag, you know, cheated on you a bunch and did drugs and, you know, came home late and just basically ruined your ability to have a normal mind and uh, see ya. Good luck. So he's basically can't do anything. I mean, we can uh, we can say I love my dad. I'm friends with my dad. You know, now you know, spent you know I, I forgave him and all that. But um, for all intents and purposes, a loser. You know, which is hard to say. Hard to, hard to say that. Hard harder to admit. You know, and harder to grow up with that. Um, you knew that all along. Or is it something you labeled down the road? This is. A, I mean, labeled down. I mean, the guy. You know, he had his own trauma that he never dealt with. But I mean, ultimately, like I have to say that you know you gotta as an individual, as a human, you have to deal with your own shit and you have to do whatever work it takes to get through the crap and you have to just own your life. And, and not divert it. it through other means. Yeah, not divert <clears throat> it through other means. And it's easier to divert. So easy. And that's the thing is, you know, being a true, like being the man of your house, it's not like, it's not easy. And I'm not, you know, I find those moments, like it's, we all do. Like it, you have to identify it and you have to be like, this is one of those moments where this is hard, but I have to do this. And do I get everyone? No, I don't get everyone, but I try, you know, and that's, that's what you have to do. But I'm definitely, <laughs> hopefully God that I never end up, you know, putting my kids in this position. Um, so anyway, mom now, she gets a job at a daycare. My, my mom made like seven twenty-five an hour raising four kids. Like literally something you would expect, um, to read about like some, like you expect like an inner city mother, right? Like that's a stereotype, right? Of like, you imagine like a, like a woman of color raising four kids because her fa the father left and abandoned his family. And, uh, and we were on food stamps. We were on section, we all lived in section eight housing. Um, like when it came to going to like any kind of camp or anything, uh, mom would just be like, don't have money for it. You can't do it. If you want to go, you got to find the money to do it. Right. So sometimes I would be able to raise money, like go to a camp or something. And other times I wouldn't, we had Christmases where like the church gave us Christmas gifts. I mean, it's like really sad, dude. Like, yeah, wow. like you get like, like, like tube socks. Like I remember there's like one Christmas we got like, like pairs of tube socks and like, we finally got like the PS2, I think like years later, like after it was already out or something. And we're like, finally, we're a normal household. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just like super, it was just like, like, I think as a kid, and and that's, you know, what my dad must have experienced to a degree as well. It's like, there's just nothing. It's just really sad when you went from, like I said, like I had, like when you taste glory and then it's taken away from you, like when you're, when like the status of life that you were accustomed to is taken away and you're forced into a position out of your <clears throat> control to be in like this lower socioeconomic status. It is just like, it racks your brain. Like it's you're, a big hit. you're it's like, a really big you're hit. like, why is this happening to my life? And you, and it's hard. It's really difficult not to focus. And this took me literally 10 years basically of like working through this shit um, to like, be like, why did this happen to me? And and then to think of like, where would my life be had that not happened? You know what I mean? Had I been able to focus in school, not been so stressed out that I was falling asleep in school all the time, maybe I would have got better grades. What if I stayed in the in the school district that was top of the line in, in Ohio? Well, then I probably would have got into a better college, right? 
well, maybe I wouldn't have been so focused on money because my parents would have been able to buy me a car and I didn't have to buy my car. I didn't have to pay for my cell phone. I didn't have to pay for insurance. Maybe then I would have, instead of focusing on, on just making money, maybe then I would have instead focused on my hobbies. And then maybe the money that I'm making now would have been purely joy-making money rather than just learning how to make money, right? So there's it, like there's all these trickle effects that end up happening that make you just so frustrated at your life and at the people, the two people that were supposed to be responsible for you, which are your parents. But then in my case, I start to do research on psychology and trauma and, and socioeconomic issues um, in school. I studied, I ended up finally getting into like um, city planning, which you study like urban, I was an urban studies degree is what I have. And you study these things. And I started to realize like there's a statistic that 85% of people born, in, born into poverty will never escape poverty. To figure out where a child is going to end up in the socioeconomic spectrum, just look at their family members. It's like 85% chance they're going to be there. So to break out of that is like very difficult to do. And it felt like I was, and it's still, I mean, I'm getting out of that now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of it. I've been getting out of it. And even like my brother, but he and I have been aware of this. And it's like, it's like this unjust, just like pressure of like, why, like, why is this so hard? And it's like, there's like issues that you can't even explain like, there's just like, let's like, it's like, you have like, you're like, man, I know that I'm fucking up, but I can't stop doing it. I've got these like ingrained conditions and behaviors that I like can't save money, can't invest money. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I'm like trying so hard to do better and I keep like screwing up, you know what I mean? There's like all these like weird things that like end up taking over your mind. It's also been proven that when you don't have a sufficient level of safety net, uh, just like from an economic status, your mind never leaves survival mode. So you literally can't think, like you can't think at the same level of somebody who has all these basic needs taken care of. Your mind is literally in a state of survival. It's like a, a psychological condition and it really causes a ton of stress and it just like really screws with you. So for a long time, I was always just like, just totally blaming, like, you know, it's like blaming my mom, uh, and like, why, you know, why, why aren't you more educated? Why didn't you like do what Nana did? And you know why, why? And then blaming my dad, like you're an idiot and you're a loser. And then blaming my grandpa, like, dude, where it all started, what were you thinking? Why did you never come in and like, one, why didn't you ever sit down with me and be like, hey man, life's probably pretty tough. And that's my fault. It all stems from me. Um, sorry about that. Never had that apology. I felt really, you know, and, and it's probably because I would have had that conversation as an adult man and not as a child, right? It's something your grand usually sit down with like, like an older man in your life. And they're like, you know, kid, like I never, uh, you know, I'm, there's, there's a tremendous Johnny Cash song called The Baron. And he says, um, uh, wish I had known you. When you were a little younger, maybe you'd be, maybe you'd be, uh, maybe you'd shoot straighter than you do. Uh, yeah. He's like, uh, What's, well, uh, interesting because 
if you're saying he should have had a conversation with you, it, if anything, it should have been he had a conversation with your dad and your dad would have a conversation with you. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, and my dad says like they did have some sort of conversation. My dad like can't even talk about emotions. It shuts down. I've tried to have these conversations with him. He's like, he like literally is like, like, and then he'll be like, he'll be like, I don't want to talk about this. You know, he can't talk about this. Like, like literally, in a, you have to imagine when you start doing drugs at 13 years old, and you, and you bury all those feelings and emotions for decades. You don't know how to have these conversations. You've never evolved out of the state of an emotional 13-year-old. My dad is an emotional 13-year-old. He never grew up. That's heavy. Never dealt with it. There's a 13-year-old man in that 50-something-year-old man's, I think he's 58 now, 58-year-old's body. You know what I mean? And that's like, like how do you, so eventually, Eventually, I, so I'm the oldest of four boys. Right. And then, so my grandfather had four kids, two boys, two girls. They all had kids, but they all had girls. Girls, girls, girls. My dad, only ones that had boys. And there's four of us, and I'm the oldest. So there's, and, and then my grandfather's brother never had kids either. So we're the only ones to carry on this name, this legacy of, of this Malat name. So I, as I started getting older and doing you know, genealogical research and just learning about the world and studying family dynamics and stuff, I created this pressure on myself to like push forward the legacy. You know what I mean? Like make a name. You know, and my little brother too. I mean, this kid, even more so than me, that guy's, he's intense. I love my brother, but he's an intense individual who has- all levels or what? He just like always did everything that made his life harder. Um, and <laughs> like truly, like just truly the guy, like just truly, but awesome guy. Now he's got like, like he's younger than me has two kids. Um, like is, is like, uh, has, has two kids and two houses, like turned out to be like oh, yeah, yeah, one kid per house. Yeah. Su more successful than me. He's younger than me basically. Um, I, I mean, success is, I, you know, it's different, but I'm joking, but yeah, he has two houses, you know, he's awesome. But he's like, he's like, like, here's an example of my brother. Like I talked to him, he's like, he's like, yeah, shaving my head now. And I was like, okay, like, what's that all about? He's like, <laughs> he's like a number of reasons. One, don't have to spend money on haircuts. Two, way easier. Three, Every, he's like, I shave it every two days and I have that, that feeling of a fresh haircut. You know, when you walk out of the barber and you've got a feeling of a fresh haircut, you just have more energy. You feel better about your life. He's like, I have that every two days. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a bad point. I've never like, heard that. He's like, and then he's like, he takes cold showers every morning. He's like, that's like supposed to be really healthy. My, my like January agenda for him, like your new year things is like, I have to take 120 seconds of cold shower every day. So what he's like, I challenge you because we challenged each other some things. And he goes, and he goes, in that cold shower, I feel the ice on my bald head. <laughs> I was like, you're still on my head. Okay, I was I'm in like, the shower yeah, and we like, separated yeah, ourselves. I was like, he's insane. Um, love that guy. He's crazy, though. Um, yeah, I'm the more, like, cultural artist of the family. And uh, and he's definitely more uh, intense and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you're going to have fun if you hang out with me. Um, put a link to your Instagram page. In yeah, uh, that's going to be at Jake is Malat. Hop on there. Give me some likes. Love it. Comment questions. Um, so anyway, yeah. So, so kind of like the reason why we're here is because for the longest time. So when my grandfather died, my grandfather got cancer when I was like in, in middle school, we believe, I believed it was 2014 my whole life. Um, but I've realized now after talking to Dave, my, uh, um, 
all my timelines were fucked up. That uh, it was sometime in between like eleven and fourteen or something like that. But anyway, he died um, because he had, he got cancer, and I remember I just remember in like the last years thinking, like, you know, my grandfather had always like as long as I had known him, it was like all about Christianity. And it was all about like literally every year for my birthday, they'd send me a Bible like every year. Wait, wait, every year you get a, a new Bible, a new Bible every year for my birthday. What is someone rewriting the Bible every year? Yeah. I mean, it was just like, they, I don't know, like, I guess they'd be like, Hey, maybe this one he'll like, you know, hmm. but I'm associating, you know, it's hard as a child to love the Bible so much when you're associating religion with the reason that you're like, these people don't really like, like it, it always felt as a child, that they chose the church over the family, which just felt so hypocritical that you are like saved, but then most of your time, donation and money goes to your church rather than your family who you like. You so know. is that the, so what is the main reason why you think they chose the church based on their donations or the time invested in? Time the, and money. They literally everything. like donated a ton of money. They were always super involved. Um, like they were always like, deacons in the church or whatever you know there was a leadership council in the church and stuff like that um wherever they lived they got invested into a church they don't know i know they donated at least 10 percent of their income all the time to that got it, got it you know what i mean and so i'm like literally living with my mom like who's like making a 725 an hour and we're like you know it's pretty on the struggle bus you know and then yeah. i'm like going to visit my grandpa uh in his like they lived in, 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 um, when they moved, so they, they like eventually moved out of Florida and they came back up to Cincinnati because they were like, we want to be closer to family in these, you know, later years, everybody's growing up. We want to see everybody grow up. And they lived in Triple Crown neighborhood, which is like the nicest neighborhood and within like 25 miles or something like that, bought a condo. So it was just hard for me as a child to like, be like, okay, I go visit you in Triple Crown, you know, and you're like telling me to read the Bible and like choking me with your Bible basically. Um, and telling me how I could like improve my life if I just follow God. And meanwhile, like, you know, it, like I don't see any real help with my like mom's situation. I'm like, mm. cool. Like God's great. I get it. Um, like how about like telling me that you got a college fund set up? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's one financial way of helping. Do, do, you, do you think he truly believed that your studies of the Bible would fix that situation or is he just pushing that on you? No, he really believed it. They were like true, like they really believe. I mean, like this really kid, devout Christians. And this his his newfound glory in God and and religion stem from him his past mistakes of leaving his family. Totally, exactly. Which is ironic because he, your dad did the same thing in some sense. And you'd think if he's on this path of uh, righteousness, whatever you want to call it, and try to make amends or, or yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it, that maybe he would see what his own son did. And try to correct that situation. Right, that's why I was like, way. "Can't you see that your your son has like fucked us all? Me and my brothers, like he fucked us. Like, why? Where are you? Like, when he steps out, there's no other man in our lives but you. You're now like the father because you caused this problem. And that's how you saw your grandfather as a father figure. Yeah, totally. Like, taught me to wash car. Like, flew me flew me down. Like, he was like the cool older guy. My dad right. was like. My dad was like, cool. He was around. He like did some cool stuff, but he just always seemed like aloof. You know what I mean? Which obviously he was doing drugs. You know? Things happen. I heard a story once. My So my little brother who lived with my dad ended up like getting into like, we were both pot dealers at some point. Difference was like, and this is, again, this is so bizarro. So there was like, like our family was like a sociological case study. So my brother lived with my dad and and went to like the most hood high school in Northern Kentucky, Holmes High School, just like super freaking inner city hood, like 
daycare in this in the high school because so many kids had kids. Oh shit! He hated it so much um, that he petitioned himself to transfer into what was like adult high schools, like basically like for people who are getting their GED while he was in high school, so that he wouldn't have to be in high school. Oh wow! Good like fast tracked himself out of there. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. So then, like, so then to give you another example is like. Like, I, so then I was like going to like a decent, like, you know, I was in the country high school still, but it was like still like, you know, it's like middle class country, like suburban or whatever. Um, but like, then we like, I get into college, I'm selling pot, but I'm selling like chronic. My brother's selling pot, but he's selling like pounds of like shit weed okay. in the hood. <laughs> so, I guess, you know, your market, is that what yeah, you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was just like, it was just like two, it was like such different worlds. You know, he like one time like got beat up on some railroad tracks, like on a bad deal or something like just like crazy stuff. My brother's a hard ass. Um, and uh, so anyway, I mean, so, so anyway, my grandfather gets cancer and, and I, and reflecting was very upset because I, I really felt like he was supposed to be around to like help us because my dad had left and then he got cancer and it was like, ah, oh, no, you're leaving. And I really loved you and looked up to you. You're like my one shining light. And then on top of that, I had this feeling of like, you, like your whole life that I've known you, all you've wanted was to die and go to heaven, you know? And then, and then now that's happening and I remember him then like, I remember I had this idea that he like, cause I remember he like switched over to like a full healthy diet and was like trying to like stay around longer. I was like kind of like fighting the good fight. That was like the mental image I had and that he wanted to stay. And I was like, well, you wanted your whole life, you want to die and go to heaven. And now you're dying because you manifested this in my belief. You know what I mean? Your whole life, you're like, I want to. When you say his whole life, you want to die and go to heaven, he verbalized that? Like, how did he express that? Yeah, I mean, that? literally, like him and his wife, like their whole lives, it was all about when you die and go to heaven. That this life, they really believe that uh, that life on earth is like, like it's not like uh, this is this is like the test of endurance that right. you have to I, go through. I, I, right? I understand that. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that. But, but yeah. heaven is like the goal. Yeah. So like their whole life, they, it was all about dying. Like it was all about going to heaven. Right. Mm -hmm. Every every action, every day, all the time, it was all about going to heaven. Right. So then I go visit him. He's dying on his deathbed, and he just looks like a shell of a man. Looks like on a breathing machine. He was skinny. He looked like a. If you've ever seen like a baby parrot. A baby parrot? You ever seen that? No, I haven't. Look up a baby parrot real quick. Should I do that right now? Yeah, go ahead. Just do it. Just look it up. Just look up baby it's parrot. It's not going to be a photo of your grandfather, is it? No, it's not. But it's just like a strange little grin. That's what I imagined when I saw him. And I just thought, I was like, this is not how- Oh, God. Yeah, I was like, this is not how I want to see you, man. I don't want to like this to be my last thought of you. You know what I mean? Like, you're like- your skin's like skinny on your skinny body. And you I look mean, unhealthy. I feel bad that you're thinking that because just me looking at a baby parrot is not that appealing. Yeah, it's, it wasn't. And I only visited him once because I was like- Because I, of that? Yeah. Was, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how, that you're what, I was 11? like 11, 12, 13. Yeah, yeah I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't, I was like, I can't see it. Because he like couldn't talk. You were just like looking at him on it like a machine, like- Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, and I was like, this is not how I want to remember you. You know what I mean? I mean, at any age, let alone a young, that's, a, at a, at a, that's such a young age it to was, see that. It was so fucked. Um, so- so anyway, for all these years, he dies. And for all these years, that was like the belief I had. So before the show, I told you I need to like have a talk with my grandma because I hadn't really talked to my grandma for like 
over 10 years, basically. Prior to this prior to conversation. This, this conversation, yeah, prior to this. I didn't really talk to her because I just was always like, uh, you just don't understand us, you don't really care. Like you haven't really put in the, the attention or time to get to know me or anything. And, and I clearly think that you care about your church more than us, kind of how I always felt. But in my older years, I, I just turned 30. And in the past, like five, in the past, really in the past decade, um, on my 21st birthday, I was with my girlfriend at the time and she was like holding my hand and I called my dad on my 21st birthday and I said, the only thing that I want from you for my birthday this year is I want you to recognize, acknowledge, and apologize for all of the hurt and all of the pain that you put me through. And, uh, and I want you to know that I love you and I forgive you and I want to move on from this and I want to be friends with you and I, and I want you in my life that I, I do forgive you. Because I realized if there's a cycle, right? If there's a cycle. The cycle only happens if you continue to be the victim. But if you decide that you're going to break that cycle and you are going to be the man that does the thing that the other men didn't do, then the cycle's broken. And so I was like, I have to find it in me to forgive this guy. And I have to step up and be the man here because he's not going to, he just can't. And so since then, I, it's been nice. We've sort of coalesced into this relationship where I, where my dad's like my friend. He's like the friend that like you check in on and like, you know, like, how you doing, man? Like, eh, you know, he's like always in trouble, you know, but like you still call and check in on him. You're probably not going to be like spending as much time as you used to, <laughs> but you still give him a call, you know. Um, and so like, you know, I call and talk to him and, and, and now I realize it in his later years. And, and here's another thing. You got to recognize this guy, this poor fucking guy. He has lost everything. He lost his family. He lost any financial security. He lost every job he ever had. He lives in, in the apartment that I used to live in. I let him just move in and keep all my furniture. You know what I mean, and that's like, it's the same. This was, it's been years. It's been like six years, five years. Um, so this guy, like he's filled, like just brimming with shame of his whole life. Like everything he's ever done, he's ashamed of it. And he knows this and he has to live with that. So I'm like, why am I gonna, why am I gonna keep making him feel shame? That's terrible. So I just try to be sweet to him. You know, I call him, I joke with him, I laugh. Like um, I tell him like, I'm like, he, I mean, he's, he's really, uh, he's really in a bad place. He's got, he's been smoking for like 50 years. His lungs are like, he's got like some disease with his lungs and like he still smokes like, dude, <laughs> like when you talk on to him on the phone, he's got, he like has trouble breathing, just talking to you. So I joke with him. I'm like, I'm like, dad, you know, my goal is I want to, you know, I want to get enough money together. And uh, I was like, I heard, I heard in Bali, you know, you can live like a king for like 500 bucks a month. Right. I was like, so for a thousand bucks a month, we could have you living like a king and we could have a girl that takes care of you and gives you blowies whenever you want. <laughs> I did not see that coming at all. I thought you were gonna like make a joke about buying him a new lung and he go for the K. And he just what? and he just laughs his ass off. He's like he's like he's like, man, at this point that sounds awesome. You know? <laughs> at any point, to be honest. Yeah, you know, but it's like it's like let's be real. You know, this guy like he pretty much blew his life. Like I'm I'm just no gonna, intended. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call him and like joke around with him and check on him and see how he's doing. Like this I don't, you know, and it makes me feel good just to check in and, and, and be cool with him. And it makes me feel way better than when I used to hate him well, let because me, I hated myself too. Well, well, let me ask you, when you came to that term of um, of stepping up and breaking the cycle, is that, let me ask, let me layer this a little bit. Yeah, please. Is it anything to do with, like you said, you're just being sweet to him because you, you made all these realizations of how his life went and maybe you felt sorry for him? 
or it had any of the correlation with your grandfather dying and realizing the the you know the layering of the grandfather I'll be honest father with you, to you ever since i was like ever since i was a kid ever since i was like i don't know if it was because of the divorce and all that but like ever since i was a kid every decision i've ever made about my entire life has been for my future children Literally. What made you realize? Like, what was that? Because of what your the death of your grandfather that make you realize? Any no, of this? this is this is much later. This is much later. Grandfather had already been dead for like six years. I think it right, was. But a lot of things oh, come was, to I terms. Was, oh, I was twenty one. I had just gone through like a uh, schooling and education. Had been encountering a bunch of different. I'd done the study on socioeconomics and stuff like that. I'd had some great experience. I studied our family, um, and I just like had done enough research to start to realize how the world works. And I just started to realize that like, if you have a crippled family and, and if you have a crippled psyche based on your family trauma, you're never going to move forward. But is that what triggered your insight on deciding to study that is based on clearly because it has a correlation to what happened in your life? No, perhaps. Um, I think I, not really. I mean, I was just more so like following my, the, my study in school was like a long journey of, uh, to get there. So then what did the death of your father do to you considering you saw him as a father figure? My grandfather, um, the death of him um, the death of him didn't really, I didn't really have an effect for a long time. Like, to be honest, all my, any of my like work that I ever did on myself, any re realizations I had, anything happened in my twenties, like, like probably 20 to like 25 is why right, I started but doing that's that why, well, that's why I was asking like, for instance, like when my dad died, yeah, I, yeah, my dad died at 12, but I made realizations when I was 25 and just cause it happened later in my life doesn't mean it had no correlation with the death of my dad. Like, you, you realize things later, which is why I was asking back to the question that we're talking about now. You're saying at the time it had no impact or it never had an impact? I mean, it totally. Uh, uh, in totality, for sure had an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, because I saw obviously that the failure of my grandfather to have a relationship with his father, um, I couldn't, I, you, you, either way, I needed to have a relationship with my father. I, I didn't want to like have kids and be like, we don't talk to grandpa, you know? Yeah. Like, cause you know those people, right? I have, I've had friends like that. They're like, I don't talk to my father. I don't, or I don't talk to my mother or I don't, I don't talk to my brother. You know, like they say it like with like contempt and disgust. I'm like, yeah, there's something that there's I'm a like, whole other layer there. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, and which, which everybody has their own problems, but I'm like, how, sure. how could you, you know, how could, this is your, your family, you know, this is your blood. This is all you got. Um, so yeah. So, um, <sighs> yeah, so so that was like a healing that from there on started to unpack a lot of stuff. Totally started to unpack all kinds of crap. Which part we're talking about when you when you said you forgive your father? Yeah, when I forgave my father. Okay. Yeah, totally. And that so then I'm telling you, I'm 30. I just had a meeting with my grandmother in preparation for this podcast. So thank you, Dave, for having this podcast. You know, um, I met with I'm her. Dave. Yeah, I met with I met with my grandmother. Um, with the aim of telling her that I forgive her for she probably didn't even know that I was holding this this contempt. And I had a conversation with her and I said, you know, I hope you can, and I ask that you forgive me, um, you know, for any ill will, any ill will known or unknown. I said, I, I, I ask that you forgive me um, because I ultimately, anybody in my family, I realized like, it's just a conversation. Usually it's so hard in families to do. It's so hard. Uh, but like, you have to do it. And anyway, I'm talking to her, I'm talking to and I told her this story, right. About like, about like his deathbed. And I was like, you know, he lived his whole life just to die. And then he like wanted to stay at the very end, which was like so hypocritical to me. She was like, no, he never wanted to stay. He went on the full health diet just to like go out clean. He didn't want to do chemo. He didn't want to go out like with an unhealthy body. He just wanted to go out smooth, but he always, always wanted to go. 
once he once he knew it was happening, he was ready. And he was like all about the journey, basically. It was all about getting to heaven. Which is cool. But like it was like I was like so wrong for years. Can you imagine? I'd been living a wrong understanding of the situation and this had held this contempt for like a decade or more, like almost like two, like 15 years or something. And was the, was the, let me show you, understand, was the true contempt that you thought he, I thought, I thought, thought I thought he was, I thought he was, yeah, I thought at the end, I was like, your whole life you live to die and go to heaven. And then you start to die and you're like, no, I want to stay and like, I want to stay and live with my family and I want to take that whatever medicine you have and I want to fight cancer because I want to live now. So there wasn't contempt in the, and part of it saying that he wasn't so involved at what later on or not something? really no it was contempt that i thought that like at the very end he actually didn't want to go to heaven and he actually wanted to stay on earth because, why, why did that develop content what does that have to do with you precisely because uh if you're, because because, you're, because you're, i thought he uh, i thought he ignored me as my family his whole life because he cared so much about church right so that's that's so backtrack so, a little bit my yeah. first question was you said you didn't have contempt for the fact that he wasn't so involved in your life and he put more attention towards church. Yeah. But now you're saying part of the contempt was that he wanted to come back based on the fact that he paid attention to the church. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. It kind of contradicts. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to clear Yeah, up. totally. Yeah, exactly. So Because it, it doesn't contradict. It was, kind of, it was dual. It, was, it, was like, it doesn't contradict because, because my thing was like, I just wanted you to pay attention to me more than your church. And then at the very end, I thought that he realized that he just really did want to pay attention to me and not the church. So like, on its own, it didn't I thought didn't, at the very end it. he had it wrong, but actually it turned out he did still choose the church. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I last I was going to allude to. I was like, at the end, it was actually like yeah. worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so yeah, what yeah, is totally. that? So what did, once, you, once you had, let me ask you, that yeah, comes yeah, full yeah, circle. Totally, now totally. that you had that conversation <sighs> with your grandmother, is there contempt? Not at all, no. Because at this point, I'm like, what? Why am I holding contempt for people? At yeah. this point, right, right. right. But, point, if you, right. but if you knew that then, what do you think? Not that dif- thinking about them matters because it's I think it, it would have helped, yeah. I think it would have helped because I thought I thought it, I thought I had a gotcha moment. That's what it was. was it, is, this, is this all in competitive spirit more than <laughs> resolution? Yeah, as a child, I was pissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, I, was like, I, I was like, fuck you, man. Yeah, yeah, that like, could develop some know, anger. Yeah, I was like, you're at the end. Look at you. Yeah. You want to be on Earth because it's great here. You're a baby pigeon. Yeah. Oh, no, parrot. <laughs> yeah. Quit being a baby <laughs> back parrot. I need to get this photo off my phone because I can't even look at it from yeah, the corner of my eye. gross. For all our listeners at home, I want you to Google baby parrot. No, I'm going to cut that out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like it was a good conversation. It's, it was a great convo. Um, I, it just felt good to reconnect. I mean, this is this is a woman. I have three grandma. I, I had uh, I had four grandmothers, and now I have three, which is just crazy. I have a, a, an abundance of female energy in my life. And also my mother's father died Um when I was one. So I was born. He's, he basically, it's, that's a pretty crazy story too. Is that like he had gotten, starting to got, get sick. He got a, a, a non, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma disease, how he died. And I don't know much about the disease, but he died basically like a year after I was born. He basically stayed alive long enough to see me born and get to know me and then he passed, which was so cool. Um, but this is also why it was, this is also why it was like so important to me that my grandfather stuck around because I was like, my mom's dad's dead. My dad's just left. You're the only stable man left in the picture and now you're dead. So now I'm left with the drug addict who can't be a man and, and like tons of women. Mom had like six sisters. I had three grandmas. 
then like the two aunts, the other uncle was kind of, and, and here's also, man, uh, to anybody who's like an uncle and, and I, you know, I know you're good at it. I'm like trying to be good at it. I'm like, it's hard to go back home and, and like be a part of these kids' lives. But like, man, like if, if just like one of my uncles would have been like, Hey man, we're like, we're going to like, let me teach you some stuff. You know, like you're a young kid is like, cool. You know, just take some interest in these kids, you know, like it just like, it felt like nobody cared. It felt like the family abandoned us. Like not a single person really put any effort in. We were just like out in the middle of the ocean. Family just, in general or was just there family a, a in lack general. of men's? Okay. Lack of men, lack of men totally. And, and, and uh, just completely, no no man stepped up. And would you say that was the biggest impact of your experience with death as opposed to the idea of death itself? Is this what it left you with? Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about my idea of death itself. Um, I mean, in particular, we can allude to that, but in, in general, the, the death of your grandpa. My experience of death is more about life. Right. Well, I mean, it, death is life. Yeah. My, my experience about death is really what we do with life because I – Basically, the only guy in my life that I ever looked up to spent his whole life hoping to die. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It sounds like a, it's like a log line to a movie. Right? I'm like, dude, can you just stick around? Like, I'd love that to hang out so with you. That's so sad. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, I'm glad you have a very enthusiastic outlook <sighs> yeah, upon that. This is why I'm so funny. Tragedy begets comedy. And you're getting something, all right? Yeah. <laughs> what I gonna say? It? <laughs> I didn't want you to say it. I'm... Um. Yeah. So. So basically, you know, have you had time to think about death? It's more of the implication of death because that's what we're, when people die, that's what we're left with. We're left with the implication of what happens with the leftovers. Totally. And um, and when somebody dies, yeah, absolutely, you're left with all the feelings that they left. Basically, any conversations that were never, were never had, those are left. Um, the what ifs, the what ifs are there. Um, every, everything, all these sort of, all these anxiety-inducing situations. Breadcrumb trail that gets left over. That totally, you, you're left to pick up as the years go on. And now I'm in the place where I feel I've finally like that was like talking to my grandma and forgiving her was like the last for me. That was the last like ill will I had toward anybody. What did she say? First of all, what was her response? She probably hung up the phone. I was like, "No, it was in person. A, it was in person. I, oh, was in I, person. I, fl I flew back and, and made a point to see her uh, in person to, oh, yeah. to have this wow, conversation. That's even more impressive. Yeah. So, um, so we sat down. It was cool, man. We had like a, it was like a really, um, it was a really like sweet. She just like really gave me her time. Um, it she was, wasn't like, I have a grandson. No, I mean, like it kind of felt a little bit like we were reconnecting. You know, like she was aware. I think of that there was a lot of mystery and, mm. and, and she acknowledged that, you know, she didn't like, there wasn't like any profound statements on her part or anything like that. I think she was just sort of listening and then, but I think what it opened is it opened a channel that now I feel I can, I, I'm trying, I'm slowly like reaching out to her and like trying to have more conversations and, and like trying to create that connection. Well, that's important because you started off earlier saying the lack of communication within the family. And <laughs> it's, I, I, yeah. you're, you're, it's so, it's so amazing because it is all started with you talking about, you know, when you mentioned uh, religion and how, um, you know, our sins are passed down to the, your, the father's sons and the son's sons. Totally. And breaking that cycle, you're breaking the cycle. Totally. I'm putting in the work, for sure. And you're very aware of it. And you're breaking it. That's what, when I listen to all these minds, like I mentioned numerous times in this podcast, Dispenza or Lipton or any of these guys who always talk about there is that, that uh, mental chamber of... You know this genetic repetition, totally, 
and it's a, it's and it's not genetics where it can't it can be broken and it's a, and you listen it's some uh, idea of being a victim and it's this mentality that could just be snapped and that's the beauty you're it's like remarkable that you're doing it i've never actually been so close to an example of someone being aware of it like you are let alone just being aware actually implementing what sounds like is the way to go to actually break the cycle yeah you have to you have to literally identify where where the com- communication needs to happen and you need to be the one to to initiate it uh, be aware of the cycle think, in let's general. think about let's think about this too just from a man's uh, a man's perspective historically like let's let's say like the patriarch of a family is like the chieftain right the chieftain gathers everyone for the powwow and like tells tells them what's like what's going down it's not you know it's not like the the aunt doesn't call counsel and then and then like ask the chieftain like hey chieftain is there anything you'd like to say He's like, yes, I want everyone, you know, no, that's not it. The man has to be the one to reach out. Now, obviously we live in the age of like men and women. And I, and I really do think now these roles are changing it with, with feminists. I told you my grandma's, you know, like basically a feminist leader and, and I've seen like that leadership happen, but I just know that there is a symbolic necessity to the patriarch of a family acting as the patriarch of the family. And it makes a difference. And it really matters. And for anybody to try to contest that, I'm telling you, like there's a power there and, it, and it, there's a reason, the reason it's been working for, you know, 50,000 years, however the fuck old humans are, you know what yeah, I mean? I'm sure some people will contest that it's working, but I totally, uh, yeah, totally. I, well, I, we have a total, I'm, we have a total breakdown of the nuclear family. And in fact, you look at like current, um, current Marxist political beliefs. And a lot of these current Marxists believe uh, they, they're like anti-nuclear family, which is just so silly because the nuclear family, while the communal family does work in the, in the um, Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu is like um, like basically a village raises a child sort of thing, like, if, like we all help sort of thing. Totally true, 100% true. And that does work, um, I think so. But like how many of us are living in like communities where like 16 couples are like raising kids together in utah with all the mormons yeah exactly like we're gonna like no no pun to that area like, yeah i mean look if you have a strong family and you just and you just as a family partake in your community like that's what ubuntu is fools like you know that's what like growing up in churches is you know or growing up in any kind of community gathering you do community service with your family it's like oh hey mr richards how are you you know like you know these people they will look out for you they keep an eye on you on the streets it doesn't have to be like this like like uh like very clear like no we live in a community together in yeah one but house, I, I feel like so. even within those communities not even those communities just communities in general yeah you can have them you know you, you go to school is you have 10 different teachers eight different teachers in high school whatever it is they're all kind of looking out for your well-being in an individual sense but you always have your favorite teacher you have that one person you really connect with totally. so there always ends up being that one kind yeah, of communities, person communities matter totally communities matter I'm, but i'm saying in relation to like having a f- one father and a mother mm. or like one person you look up to is really important to have that father figure yeah to have that mother figure it's, absolutely and not having that you know you've labeled you've dropped the stats and like that there's a reason why it messes people up when you lose someone or you don't have someone in your life. And there's, I mean, totally. There's a pattern. And I, and and I, I think recovery from it. Thankfully, I had, um, like, I identified, I, I worked, I was a worker, 14 years old, because mom was like, go get a job if you want any, literally anything, yeah, go get a job. So, 14 years old, got a job at the YMCA, walked there. It was like three quarters of a mile. I would walk there, do a shift, walk home, walk there, walk home. Did that long enough to get a car, got a car, drove there, drove home. Drove there, drove home, became a lifeguard. Then, mm-hmm. then that 
uh, evolved into job number three, four, five. I've worked for like 30 employers, something like that. I've had like, thir- like I've, I've worked, like I've worked more than any other, other task in my life. Like kids in high school who would play sports, I was working, you know what I mean? Um, which made me very good at sales, you know, I'm sure you as well. Uh, and, um, it, but that was another thing. Like I couldn't, like I wanted to play, like when I was young, I wanted to play football. Mom was like, no, we don't have insurance. If you get hurt, I won't be able to pay for it. You can't play football. Mm. So I was like discouraged to do that. That was another thing of like, that could have been a great outlet to be around like mentors, right? <laughs> and and, I, and I'm like, ah, she like totally missed one there because, but again, you have to think of the mindset she was in. Had no money, nothing. She was like, dude, if my kid has a $10,000 medical bill, we are done. Yeah. You know, she's got to look out for the whole family. So it made sense, you know. Of course. So I ran track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say play golf, but golf's expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what can you do uh, if you have, if you have literally no money? You can run. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that's what I, I ran. I did a little bit of wrestling, which um, you know, you're on the mats and they're soft, so you know, yeah. nobody's arms getting broken. Your really. ears are just gonna get weird. Yeah, and they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, so so now I don't know. So now I'm like in this place. Now I'm like I, I just turned thirty. I've pretty much like packaged up all this trauma and sh- and uh, and had these conversations and trying to have these conversations. And now I'm like in a place where. It's about like healing bridges and trying to step up and be more of like the person initiating these conversations. I don't put like some, I try, I try not to put too much of like a pressure to be like, like I said, like some chieftain, like patriarch of our whole family. Cause there's a lot of guys in my family who straight up are just like, who the hell are you? You don't even live here. You know what I mean? You live in another state. So if I come home and I'm like gallivanting around, like I'm in charge, I'm the <laughs> patriarch, you know, they're going to be like, you're a douchebag, yeah. you know, which they kind of already say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're finesse it. Yeah. They, they definitely have their California jokes for sure. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Davey. <laughs> He's calling someone out right now? Yeah, just calling out my cousin. I'm just fucking with him. <laughs> yeah, make sure he gets it. Yeah, they, um, they love to make fun of California. So what do you think? Do you think you, uh, how do you feel about this? Um, I feel good. Um, yeah, I mean, so so like now my approach to death, because um, you, you kind of asked about that, like, what's your, you know, what do you think of death, you know? I mean, based uh, on your experience. Yeah. Based on my experience. Yeah, totally. Like, let's say like, do you believe it, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? <laughs> Um, which, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, uh, look, I think, um, I do believe that prophets existed for sure. And I believe all the religions are, there's truth in all those stories. I think largely after you start to study society and, and I mean, you can look around if you're, uh, if you're a pretty intellectual person today, you can understand that like large swath of the population dummies, like totally just dumb dumbs. Um, so let's, trickle back let's kick it back like 2000 years it's not gonna go too far but sure let's go back 2000 years like 95 percent of the population have the reading equivalent of like a two-year-old you know or like a four-year-old you know what i mean like like you, they, you give them any sort of mental task or something you're of course gonna have craftsmen tradesmen people who become professionals and their brain is gonna work really well within those craftsman fields but like critical thinking like the ability to like really get some get down and deep with some concepts and like grapple with ideas have a a good healthy debate just a large swath of the population is not going to be able to do that right so what do you do you create a book of rules on society on how to live and function within society but these rules should also like make sure that the groups are behaving in a way that's good for all of us right so for example people are always like and here's the thing, I dislike people who make fun of religion because you always hear this, like, how could you believe in God 
we you can't eat you can't eat pigs you can't eat you can't eat pork on Tuesdays like what kind of a what kind of a rule is that from God right well guess what asshole do some research you're not that smart you're making yourself look dumb because what it was is it was the ruling aristocracy and the nobility saying like they had like a pork outbreak where some like somebody got a bad pork and it fucking killed like 4000 people in their in their city and they're like all right that's it nobody's eating pork Allah said it mm. and the, and the, and it comes down from the church because at that time back then uh, a book would have been a, to get a book in your hands before the industrial revolution when we had mass printing all books were handwritten to have a book would be like $800. It'd oh, be like wow. $800 to like $2,500. So if you're making like, and think, like back then, like commerce was not like it is today. Commerce was like Africa. It was like you make $4, and I mean like a, like an underdeveloped African nation or Indian, like an, you know, it would have been like you made like $4 a month. That would be the equivalent. So to have a book would be like, it'd be like having a Bugatti. You know what I mean? Like to me, like to have Bugatti to me is like, well, that's, you know, it's going to take a while. Um, so, so like they're just, they're just not well read. So if they're not well read, then they don't know about problems that have happened in the past because they can't other than stories, oral tradition. So the way that knowledge was passed down in the olden days before text was oral tradition, stories. And it's so easy to remember stories as as people, as humans. We, we always can learn lessons. That's why you have like allegories. That's why you have like Aesop's fables for kids, right? That's why you have these things because- No, embellish it, stories. Totally. But humans remember information and they remember rules and lessons based on stories. We all had this- Right when you're growing up, like the uh, think of like a like a like a lesson that you learned that was like like Chicken Little, the sky is falling, right? Running around with his head cut off, believing the sky. Is falling. How about uh, Peter um, uh, Peter and the Wolf? Right? There's a wolf coming. Everybody comes out. Where's the wolf? He thinks it's funny. He's rolling around in the field, laughing his ass off. I got them. <laughs> Goes back next week. There's a wolf in the field. Everybody comes out. Where's the wolf? They leave. He's laughing his ass off. Third time, there's a wolf in the field. He's like, oh, fuck, there's a wolf. And they're like, yeah, shut the fuck up. You're a liar, you know? Yeah. So this is an example of, of oral tradition. This is how people learned. So before people were literate enough to like learn on their own and read, they had to go to the, the people with knowledge to teach them. And they taught them these stories. So the Bible in a large sense is just, it's just lessons to live a good life. And then the old stuff that doesn't make sense was literally just societal instruction of the time. It was like the CDC's publication. <laughs> you know? That's a modern interpretation of yeah. the Bible. Yeah, the so, seriously, seriously. So where does this bring you to death? So where does this bring me to death? So I, I fully believe and love religion. I used to have my qualms growing up, but like, for example, my grandmother today is like a devout creationist. She believes every word of the Bible is in, is verified fact. I don't know which Bible, there's a bunch of diversions, but they believe in creationism. They believe that she, in fact, was like, for a while, she was like the secretary for the vice president of, of all creationism as like the the creation museum. Sorry, the creation museum uh, is an established museum in Kentucky um, where they've built a museum to creationism. So they have a biblically proportioned ark. They like built the ark to the biblical proportions. It's like three, it's huge. It's three football fields, like two football fields long and like six stories, eight stories tall or something. And they built it out of wood, like per instruction that was in the Bible. I think I, I saw a documentary or something where they, they, they claimed they found cool. it in Armenia. Yeah, yeah. So she she also believes, I sent that to you. She also believes, <laughs> um, 
so they also believed that dinosaurs were on the ark. Because they contested dinosaurs for a long time, and then so many bones got pulled out of the ground that they were like, all right, we got to fit dinosaurs. Okay, we're talking about dinosaurs now. Let's revert back to what, uh, what we're going after <laughs> yeah, right okay, now. Okay, sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, um, so basically, um, so I, I, I really be- I love religion. I love anything that brings people to spirit. If, if crystals are your religion, awesome. You know what I mean? Like in California, like the new age thing, like people say universe instead of God. It's hilarious, actually. When, next time you listen, listen to anybody in any speech on the West Coast, they always say like, like it, like it was just the universe that brought us here to, at the right time at the right moment. In the Midwest, we would just say God, yeah, and it's hilarious because people are like, you can't say God because they like have this like, like fire in their eyes when they think of religion because everybody thinks religion is like choking you with like God, but like really it's just like, you gotta, you gotta like be able to step away from it. Well, that. that's the thing. When you look at a lot of different belief systems, obviously there's some extreme variations. A lot of, a lot of us are saying the same thing. Totally. Just different terminology. And like I said, there's extreme differences in certain aspects. I mean, the way <laughs> yeah. the story was told, but at the end of the day, when you really just like put them together and change these words here and there, and you try to like, you know, open it up a little more. A lot of us are saying the same. It's not so so different. Let's think of it this way. You, here's here's what my here's my belief uh, of like life after death. I believe that there is a universal energy, like that, uh, a, like a cosmic infinite intelligence that we all come from and that we're all a part of, and we can all access at any time. Um, when uh, when good things happen in our lives that are like coincidental or serendipitous, we are often vibrating or or just in a place where we can accept that energy um, and. And we can all tap into it if we believe in it and such. Um, so I could say that every time I want to say, or I could just say God. It's a lot easier. It sounds like you're talking about the quantum field. Yeah, it's just easier to say. It's three letters. It's just easier to say God. You <laughs> it's know one I mean? syllable. Like, do I have to? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for somebody to be like, well, what happens? You know. But that's you know that's what I believe is like like we pass on to like an infinite intelligence basically. And and, and the Freemasons they call it the Grand Architect of the Universe. I think it's really cool. And, and you ha- you see that come up in some other places. Sounds like you've been reading Think and Grow Rich with the Infinite <laughs> Intelligence. Yeah, and the Infinite Intelligence. Think and Grow Rich. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I mean that's that's my belief. I really um, and I'm and I'm ex- I'm excited to go there when I. Die. You know what I mean? Sound like someone we were just talking about. Totally. I am excited to go there. But what I've realized, and, and this was what I, and I think this impacts, I, th- I mean, this is my personal belief. I think that it impacts when you get to that other place that like how much you feel, how happy you are with what you've done here. And if for you, if like, if you are like a, a guy in the middle of the rainforest and like what makes you happy is like your, your hut that you built and eating one fish a day and walking with your son and your wife and uh, and your pet monkey. If that's what makes you happy, and when you die, you're like, I accomplished all that I ever needed to, and this is awesome. Well, then when you die, your soul will be at ease, and like, that's heaven. I think hell is like, when whatever your life was, like when you go to die, you like regret so much, that your your anxious conscience passes anxiously over into the other realm. The energy. And that anxious energy torments you. And that's hell. That's what I think. So it's oh, interesting. Yeah. So um you go to Bali for thousand dollars a month. Yeah, dude. Make you live the way life life. I that might. Way. Honestly. We'll talk about that if after. This California dream doesn't work out. I'm starting to go fund me, and well, I'm getting blowies. Well, <laughs> wow, it's ended right there. I think uh, 
I don't know. I think uh, you should be <laughs> impressed with yourself because I know I am in regards to you. Hey, thanks. Truly, you know, intentionalizing your uh, desire to break a cycle because there's so many cycles that even when I think about my own family without getting into it or my friend's family or stories that I've heard, it's like this, that is, it's breaking a cycle and it seems so impossible, but it just takes one person that could break a cycle for uh, down the line so Dude, um, for real like like thousands of people's lives you got to think about yeah, that no, literally yeah in the past and the future so um jake <clears throat> yeah i don't know if you have any last words but i really appreciate you being on here yeah um i just want to you know i want to thank my producer um dave i want to thank my agent uh dave as well and uh you know and i want to thank thank the big guy upstairs god shout out to uh you know grandpa papa love you man um and shout out to my mom's dad too you know hope you're up there listening as well and um hey and all those good good guys out there it ain't easy but you know we got to put in the work and all those ladies out there too put in the work too you know don't be a victim you know everybody nobody be a victim identify your shit and own it don't make an excuse just own it Figure out how you can resolve it and put in the work to do it. I was getting, I'm getting ready to cue in the Oscar sounding music where we got to go to commercial break. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. And also just listen to Matthew McConaughey's uh, 13 principles of, of life that he learned. Is it good? That's so good. Was it like a podcast? He's cool. Now he just like did a speech at a college. It was great. I might have heard that. All right, and by Lincoln. All right, guys. Thank you again. We have Jake Malott here. Yeah. Uh, fantastic storyteller. For those of you that tuned in, I really appreciate it. Subscribe, download, all that. And uh, stay tuned for next episode of Dead Talks. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.